Welcome to Mother Food Season 3, Conversations that Nourish the Modern Mother. I'm your host, Elisa Timoshkina, food writer, cookery teacher, author, chef, and a mother passionate about maternal empowerment through food and conversation. In this season, we meet women who forged inspiring careers in food, nutrition, and wellness, while also embracing lives as mothers. We talk about what it means to be a woman, a mother, and a creative. We share intimate moments of our complex journey with all the intricacies of our relationships to our bodies, our partners, and our children. And of course, there's a lot of talking about the food. I passionately believe that when women's voices come together to share stories, some magical transformation takes place. So, let's talk. Welcome to episode 10 of the third season of the Motherhood Podcast. Today, I am recording this from my new house. And it all feels a little bit surreal. And also, I'm not sure what the sound quality will be like, because I'm literally standing in an empty room surrounded by my plants and nothing else. So perhaps it's a little bit echoey and there's also a bit of noise. But anyway, uh, the last month has been quite stressful, to put it mildly. And it just makes me wonder what this whole year is trying to tell me because home as a space, as a physical space, as an emotional space, always plays a very big part in my life and in my sense of self. But this year, we have been displaced so many times, sometimes without giving consent to it, other times like now by choice. But it all has been very unpredictable and extremely stressful. So here we are in the new place, yet not entirely sure when this place is actually going to be livable. And that also means that I'm not quite sure what my schedule for the next couple of months will be like, because it seems like a lot of work will be required here. So this is to say that for now, this is going to be the last episode. And hopefully I'll be back as soon as I physically and emotionally can. This experience as well brings me quite nicely on to introducing my guest because the stress and the uncertainty of what our family has gone through in the last six months has been quite a lot to handle and I think the old version of me would have really truly struggled not having control, not being able to have things as I think they should be but thanks to the work that I have been putting into myself, into my own mindset, into my own well-being, physical and emotional. I think I've managed to cope with all of the madness of this year, not to mention last year as well, quite well. So I'm really celebrating myself and paying huge gratitude to my guest, Maisie Hill. And I just love that woman. My appreciation of her work began two years ago when I read her first book, Period Power, 
And not only this book lit so many light bulbs in terms of my own health and my own history of different conditions I was trying to figure out, but it also gave me a nudge to pursue the subject that I have been passionate about for a decade and to see if I can somehow merge this passion and this personal experience with my professional path in food writing, cooking, and hosting supper clubs. And the other reason why I'm so grateful to Maisie is for her, in my opinion, super innovative work that she does with the Flow Collective. And Flow Collective is a membership group that focuses on addressing hormonal health, but also introduces very innovative ways of using coaching methods to really create a holistic understanding of how your body works and how your mind works together with your hormones, with your lifestyle, and with your modes of thinking. So Maisie offers group coaching calls. There's a dedicated private app that functions pretty much like Facebook, where members can share their experiences, ask questions, and also get a lot of super useful, knowledgeable information about their health. So that has really helped me so much to go through all the craziness that has been happening in the last year and a half. And Surely Maisie Hill doesn't need much more introduction, but just for those who don't know her, she is a leading women's health practitioner, a trained um, acupuncturist, a doula, and recently Maisie has also trained as a life coach. Um, she's an author of uh, best-selling books like Period Power and Perimenopause Power, and I believe she's got two more books um, in the pipeline, which I'm super excited about. Um, she's also a prolific speaker. Um, she runs her own podcast called Period Power, which I love. Um, and she appears on tons of podcasts, um, speaking about mostly hormonal health and her work. So when I started Mother Food, I had my dream wish list. <laughs> of guests I'd love to interview. And of course, Maisie was on that list because she's also a mother and her food plays a huge part in what she does. You know, although she's not a nutritionist, but of course, as a women's health practitioner, she really does know a lot about nutrition and introduces a lot of um, super useful and super knowledgeable scientific advice about food and hormones. Um, so I just really wanted to have her on the show, but never had the confidence to do so until now, partly thanks to <laughs> the coaching work that she's been offering, but also precisely because I had a more direct contact to her through the Flow Collective. And what interested me in Maisie's story is actually to talk about her as a mother and her as an entrepreneur and as a creative woman. This is something I felt hasn't really been covered in other podcasts. So I was super excited that Maisie was keen to talk about it all with me. So this conversation, as expected, was absolutely brilliant and inspired so many light bulb moments. I was really fascinated to explore her personal experience of childbirth, which 
also includes pregnancy and postpartum, precisely because of her professional experience as a doula. And she offers a lot of really fascinating insights and shares her personal story of uh, giving birth to her son. There's a lot of amazing stuff that we talk about in relation to parenting and her relationship to her partner. And of course, I just love talking about creativity and being a professional as well as a mother. So I am a little bit sad to say this is the last episode for the time being, but I really couldn't think of a better guest to conclude with. So I very much hope that you enjoy this episode and do have a listen to all the previous ones because this podcast really has supported me through the last year and a half. Perhaps that's another way that my chaotic life recently has been more manageable is thanks to all of the guests who appeared on the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners for the amazing feedback, for the amazing response and support. And yeah, thanks to myself for pushing myself out of my comfort zone, getting over my edginess around hearing my own voice, um, my accent. So yeah, I think let's just celebrate this amazing community, all the women, all the mothers, and everyone who made this podcast possible. I am so thrilled to have you on my podcast. As you know, I absolutely love your work and I'm a member of the Flow Collective. So it's really funny to have <laughs> you on the call, but having the <laughs> roles reversed a little bit. <laughs> I know, it's thrilling for me to have that role reversal. <laughs> One of the things that I love the most about what you do is your personal story behind um, your career and how your personal experiences and challenges led you yeah. to this field, um, which is so unique um, and so innovative. So I wanted to start there and really ask you about your journey into this field and how you get to do what you do. Yeah, it's a great starting point. So my my history is that as a teenager, my periods were horrendous in that they were really painful, like excruciating pain. And I went on the birth control pill, um, which of course like doesn't treat period pain, but it does stop you having periods, which meant that, you know, the pain went away and, but it didn't agree with me for, you know, several reasons like low mood, low sexual desire. And so I came off it, I think I was like 20, something like that, 21. And at the time I discovered a book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility and started learning about my cycle. And I was just enraged that there were these fascinating things about my body that nobody had told me. And, you know, I think that really has stayed with me and it's been really fascinating now with my books being out that people have the same reaction you know this is like I get a lot of messages from people saying I'm just so angry that nobody's told me this and I think it just goes to show that even without taking any action just access to information makes a huge difference to someone's experience because they can name it and make sense of it 
and from there start to think about do they want to change anything so you know I came off the pill but of course they still had this horrendous period pain and so I just went on a mission to change that and I you know tried all sorts of therapies and treatments and you know various strategies and they helped and I got rid of the period pain and I haven't had period pain since but throughout that process I got very interested in all these things that I was receiving and I trained as an acupuncturist that was my degree um, and trained in all sorts of other therapies and things and you know I'm a massive geek. So I started really learning about hormones and I was also working as a birth doula. And so all this was going on in like my mid twenties, this is when it started and now I'm 40. So it's really been like a 15 year journey personally and professionally. And, you know, there's only so long you can go on that journey before you're just like, I need to write a book. This needs to come be born into the world and I think what's really fascinating with the topic that we're going to be talking about and about motherhood is that it took becoming a mother to write that book you know like someone was we were talking someone I know is pregnant and we were talking the other day about creativity and motherhood and you know that you that it is possible to work and to create and to you know and to make money and all of these different things and, and I was saying, you know, before I had my son, I struggled to write a blog post a month. Like I remember with working with a coach and he said, your writing's really powerful. If you can just write blog posts, even if it's once a month, I think that would have a huge impact on the world. And I struggled to do it. And I had no kids. <laughs> I had my own business. I had lots of opportunities to do it, but then it really took becoming a mum and, I think just being sat up at night breastfeeding all those nights and just having that's when a lot of stuff um, like integrated for me and started all coming together all the different learnings I had all the different experiences all my work with clients it all just started to melt together at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> and then that's where period power came from that's where the first book came from but I, I like I really question would it have happened had I not become a mum that's amazing I yeah. didn't realize that it had such a connection to your experience of motherhood yeah. and it's fascinating isn't it that um, we tend to think that motherhood is so overwhelming and I mean it is in many ways um, <laughs> <laughs> which is true but at the same time that you know how can you do anything else but actually weirdly that creative impulse or that creative energy it often yeah. does lead you to actually do something else as well as being a mom yeah well that's the thing I think often when we're talking about goals and even when we're talking about motherhood we're often thinking about them or you know thinking about them speaking about them in ways that they take things from us and of course take sleep from you it requires energy all of these things but our goals our parenting can also create energy and it can wake energy up in us and you know they can really serve us so I think it's always useful to be assessing how are we framing things in our lives and do they help us or do we want to shift things and think about them in a different way which you know, from being a member in the Flow Collective, that's what we spend a lot of time talking about. Um, 
And so for me, it really gave me a lot, you know, and I think I'm trying to remember how old I, how old Nelson was when I started writing period power, he must've been just turning two. Yeah. He would have just been turning two when I started writing. Gosh, that's a yeah. tough age. My daughter is two and a half and yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. And it was when I started writing it, he was doing two mornings a week at preschool. So I had like six hours a week. And then, you know, just got the book deal was like, okay, let's add in another couple of mornings. And now let's add in after and just gradually we just added in, added in more. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, when I look back and I think, I think I had five months to write it in, but a month of that I like lost to Easter holidays and half terms because the preschool closed during those times. So I had four months to write it in but I think like that I'd say like fury <laughs> like <laughs> like that's what interesting between the two books like the first book I had this fury and this fire in me that, and I think some of that came from becoming a mum and like that sense of time is precious and I have to really make the most of my time to get this out of me so it was like this very intense period of time and yes, challenging, but also so enjoyable, you know, to reach that stage in the parenting journey where you are taking something for yourself and saying, this is important. This is for me. This is about the value I can bring to the world, the impact that I can have. And also I need this. So it was very powerful. Um, it's a powerful book. So it really yeah. shows that, I mean, you're ready for it, obviously, you know, you had all that embodied yeah, just, experience and experience as a practitioner that's yeah yeah it just flew out of me yeah amazing and to go back to your journey towards motherhood um I remember you saying in one of your podcasts uh where you share your story of you know your issues with period pain that at one point you were not sure if you wanted to be a mother but you wanted to have the option and that was quite important for you to you know, have your body ready for it should you choose to become a mom. Yeah. So that really resonated with me because I had something very similar. Um, so I wanted to talk about that journey into motherhood, you know, from taking your own health into your hands um, to actually giving birth to Nelson. Well, yeah, it was a journey because I think, you know, when I started doing this work and when I first started doulering and you know, offering treatments that, you know, were to do with female reproductive health. I, I didn't want kids. I just wasn't there. I was like, I don't know if I ever will be there, but I want it to be my choice rather than, you know, I think what I imagined could be behind the period pain being something that takes away that choice. So, but I was, I also knew that I wanted this for me. Like, I don't want to have to be battling my way through you know, two or three days out of every cycle. Um, so there were a few reasons for that, but um, yeah, I mean, I did a lot for preparation. I mean, I don't think it was a lot, but when I talk to other people, they're like, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of preparation that you did. But I just, I approached it in a really conscious way. And I think that's what's helpful with my background in Chinese medicine is really seeing how that work that you do 
pre-conceiving pays off in terms of the experience of pregnancy, the experience of birth, the experience of parenting, like all the way through. So for me, it made a lot of a lot of sense to invest time, energy, finances into nourishing and supporting myself in order to take care of the years that would follow. Love so, that. yeah, so I looked at nutrition and, you know, there's overlap here because in supporting my cycle and reducing the period pain, that, of course, overlaps with things that you would do to support conceiving and pregnancy so I was doing nutritional therapy acupuncture herbs um the arvigo massage that's largely a self-care technique so I was bringing all of that in and you know not necessarily like really consistently all the time it was something that sometimes I'd lean into this more and you know if I was feeling a bit depleted I might do a bit of herbs or you know I might get more into the massage so there was like a there was a movement with it all. And then in pregnancy, you know, I started preparing for birth, like physically from 18 weeks. So just kind of halfway through. And I say physically, because I started preparing for birth mentally long before I was pregnant. Right. right. Through my work as a doula, like I was working through the stuff in my mind before I was pregnant. So I think I kind of had a, I was like ahead of the curve in my pregnancy, which then meant that I could focus on postpartum. You know, I wasn't so concerned about thinking about the birth because I had that sorted. Mm. You know, I was like totally okay with it. I know from the hundreds of births I've been at, what can happen, where it can go. I felt very supported in my pregnancy with my midwife team. So that then meant that I could shift focus onto what's family life going to be like how what food are we going to have around us who's going to be delivering food and like what you know other just parenting choices and it also just allowed me to be in the pregnancy and to just enjoy it but I did do I was trying to think about some of the things that I did in pregnancy I I did midwives encouraged me like from 18 weeks to start doing the spinning babies technique so spinning babies is a website and they have some exercises that you can do on a daily or a weekly basis that just like balance out the pelvis and release the ligaments and they're really supportive of pregnancy um but they can also help to support the pelvis in preparation for birth so i started doing that I got into minimal footwear, like not walking, because most types of modern shoes, you're actually, they're heels. Even if you're in trainers, they're a heel. You know, if you look at the positioning Mm -hmm. of the foot and then that has implications for the rest of the body and what's going on with the pelvis. So I made sure that I I was wearing like neutral shoes and I walked a lot in those shoes and I would really I mean I'm sat cross-legged now but I would sit on the floor in different positions and I would make sure that I was just not um not putting myself in positions where I was contracting or like causing musculoskeletal 
things to you know in my body that would then impact on my experience of labor and birth and recovery so I did that I try to think what else I did I did all sorts of things I remember like explaining it to someone once and they were like wow that's a lot but it didn't feel like a lot of the time because it just felt nice things to do for myself and actually quite organic it's not like you were doing some extra weird things <laughs> just no. being more mindful of how your posture is yeah. and yeah how you feel in your own body that's brilliant yeah. and it's interesting you mentioned mindset um, and I think so many women have partly thanks to media and completely distorted image of what childbirth looks like in film we have so many unhelpful kind of roadblocks um, around childbirth how is that for you have you had anything that you kind of cautious consciously needed to overcome or because of your work as a doula, you obviously had a lot more kind of honest and real relationship to both. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great question because, of course, as a doula, you see some births that go very smoothly and are very joyous. And you see some births that are intense and challenging and some a very small amount that are true emergencies. And so as a pregnant person, you bring all of that into your experience of pregnancy. And I think I felt very um, aware of the birth work that I did whilst I was pregnant. So I didn't support a lot of people uh, when I was pregnant. I had a few clients and I just took care to really debrief those experiences with colleagues and with my midwives to make sure that I wasn't carrying that into my experience. Um, but it, you know, when I was in labor, I felt like there was two Maisies, like there was the Maisie who was in labor and then there was Doula Maisie watching Maisie in labor. <laughs> I remember this one moment where I was getting out of the bath which is where I spent most of my labor and I was getting out of the bath so that my midwife could examine me and I just thought like Dula Maisie was saying to me you should go to the toilet before you have an examination because I know like that helps to make it more comfortable so I'm like on the toilet and I could feel myself kind of grunting a bit and pushing and then doula Maisie's there going well this is interesting that this is happening isn't it <laughs> like maybe you're quite far along <laughs> and then there's me who's just like oh maybe like I just need a poo <laughs> you know you're just questioning it and you know sure enough I was like in transition and you know I was basically six centimeters at the start of the examination and then like the head was there a minute or two later. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience to be in labor finally, you know, after seeing so many other people go through it. But for me, it was a bit like, it was so familiar to me. It's just like brushing your teeth, you know, it's just not a big deal. And that's, and not to say that it's, I mean, it is a big deal, but it felt, so normal to me and I think what I've observed in a lot of my clients over the years is that there can be anxieties and a lot of them can be worked through 
you know, before you get into labor, but sometimes it's just like, because it's unfamiliar territory as it's happening, you're thinking, is this okay? I don't know. This feels pretty weird. And you're like looking to the people around you for that reassurance. But I was just able to give that reassurance to myself. And that meant, I think that I was able to, to really let go and to, to really let myself labor because I didn't, there was nothing that I had to hold back from because I knew what was coming, you know, like even if we ended up in an ambulance, even if we ended up in theater, I still knew what was coming. So it was okay. Did you have a birth plan? I had a very short birth plan. It had like five things on it. I'm trying to remember what the five things were. They wouldn't be what you would think they were. I, I like to ask my clients, like, how would you like to feel like what's important to you rather than focusing on the details of this is my preferences for this. And if this happens, I want that. And it can just end up being an endless flow chart. And that can be really useful as a process to go through. But I was just focused on, and I think I was able to do this because of my experience, but also because I had such amazing midwives, you know, we hired independent private midwives and I just, I knew that they would have my back and that they would, they would already know a lot of the stuff that I would want or not want so it just came down to what are the important things that need to be communicated to other people perhaps it's great what you've said that it's kind of how you want to feel rather than being hooked up on specific yeah outcomes or specific procedures because I think that's where we often kind of trip ourselves up yeah being too hooked up on a certain outcome rather than just how you want to be feeling through whatever happens and I guess that's partly what causes that kind of sense of regret that kind of overwhelming yeah regret that it didn't go according to your expectations and even though like my personal experience it was overall quite positive but it still wasn't that birth that I wanted and even though I know it's important to be open-minded I still can't help but sometimes go back in time and be like oh I wish I wish that happened the other way and did yeah. you have any any regrets or any of those unhelpful <laughs> conversations with oh, yourself I think my my I wish there was because at the time when I went into labor, I'd had, so I, my labor started on a Sunday evening, like late that evening, close to midnight. But that morning I had had a doula who I was mentoring come over to debrief uh, a birth that she had been at and to, to talk it through. And she also did birth photography and as she was leaving, like I, there was this little voice in me who was like, going to say, do you want to just be on call and like come and take some photos in case I go into labor? And, but I didn't ask that. And that was, of course, then when I went into labor and I did like manage to uh, just as in the kind of final few surges before he was born, say to my partner take some photos so he actually you know was taking some photos as he was being born um but I think that's my regret of pregnancy and birth is that I don't have more photos you know like I didn't my partner's just someone who doesn't take photos (laughs) so you really have to ask and 
I didn't ask. And I think I would have just liked to have had some, even just hire a photographer to take some just to have them. And, you know, that's something that, because that was my experience, I often speak to people about. And I think, you know, often as mums, we're the ones who take the photos. And even my son said to me when we were looking through old photos, where are you? <laughs> because it's all photos of him and him and his dad, my partner. Um, so, you know, that's something now that I'm more conscious of when I'm around other mums is to take photos for them of them and their children, because often we're just missing from the images. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's funny, my partner is a sound designer, so he actually recorded an audio of the birth, but oh, didn't wow. take any pictures. <laughs> I don't want to listen to myself screaming. I just, I'd much rather have the picture, but I mean, I'm yet to bring myself to listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I'm ready yet. The other thing that I love of what you said is that you prepared for postpartum much sooner than kind of we conventionally do and one of the big things was food <laughs> and of course this is a big it was topic. the thing it was the thing <laughs> what did you prepare and who helped you or you know how did you make it all happen um well I like you know as a doula this is the advice that I would always give my clients and say that people love having guidelines to follow you know, people want a job. Usually once a baby's been born, they want to feel useful. They want to feel involved. They want to be connected to the process. So why not just tell people what it is? Like, we'd love for you to be involved. Here's how we'd like you to be involved. <laughs> and for me, that was just, can you bring some food? If you come in the house and you hang out for a bit, like it's a half hour limit for a start. <laughs> And if you're going to be here, can you do the dishes before you leave? Right? And I just was like really okay with making those requests. And, you know, we, we didn't tell, we just told a very close family um, after he was born, not everyone. And then I think it was like five days before we told kind of the world at large, but we let the people, you know, who live close to us know and, you know, I'd made clear what we wanted in terms of support. And then, you know, suddenly you just get a text saying there's two homemade chicken pies, one for now, one for later on the front door, you know, and like our friends up the road, Shaman and Fergus had delivered chicken pies and a, um, a loaf of bread, they're bakers, which worked out really nicely. <laughs> and, um, and that's something, you know, that I see here in my community in Margate, uh, you know, I've only done a few births here because I, I don't really do it anymore. Um, but there was one birth that I was at that even before I'd left after she gave birth, I, like, I opened the front door to go home and there was already packages of home cooked food there for her. So, well, and for all of the family. And I just think that's such a, wonderful thing like people always focus on like a cute outfit or this or that and like no just food please because that's what's most important you know often babies at this stage aren't even wearing anything they're just <laughs> in a nappy and they're on you um and you know what what we really need is for 
the parents to be taken care of and for them to feel nourished and supported and held you know we can think about nutrition just in terms of what we're eating but also like nutrition as in like feeling held and supported by the community of people around them whether that's through an online space or whether that's through like the people in your physical neighborhood um so that's really important I also had because I knew that you know kind of around days two to four there's a massive hormonal shift and for some people you know that's often referred to as the baby blues which makes it seem quite cute I think and it's often not um but that's when people can feel quite teary and be really questioning things and feeling quite vulnerable so I had made sure that my acupuncturist was going to be coming over and also that someone was going to come and give me reflexology and you know it was just it was fantastic because I was just lying in bed you know I did the like a week in the bed and then a week around the bed um and just really resting and and I had a very straightforward birth you know it was five hours long it was very smooth it was very quick it felt you know it was intense but it was great and you know there were some breastfeeding challenges for me but just really wanted to enjoy that time and just be cuddling up and falling in love with my baby and and just enjoying it so having people come in and support me with treatments and my acupuncturist cooked up a big thing of uh like chicken soup with lots of uh chinese herbs in it as well that just help for like some post-birth nourishment that have, that are safe to take um and yeah it was just it was wonderful Oh, that sounds so beautiful and amazing that you had, you know, was thanks to your own planning and a kind of intentionality behind it, that you knew what you wanted. You were not shy or afraid to communicate it. And it's wonderful that, you know, it happened for you that way. Yeah. I think that just came from just thinking, oh, people want me to tell them this you know and that's like often what we talk about doing is like where if you're you know going to be asking things making those requests like where is it coming from are you feeling like you're being a pain in the ass for asking it or are you be like no people just are waiting for me to tell them this and that's just like maybe quite naively where I approached it from I was just thinking of course people want to know this I'm just going to tell them and then they'll do it and it's going to be fantastic so of course that's how it was yeah, because you often think I would do the same for any of my friends. So what yeah. makes me think that my friends wouldn't do that for me? It's, yeah. it's funny that the brain does that. And in terms of your sense of self as a mother, because for so many, that whole matrescence, that transition period can be so challenging. It definitely was for me, even though my pregnancy was so beautiful. I felt so in touch with my body and my child, but I really struggled to, you know, meet myself on the other side of it how was that for you it was just straightforward maybe that's because because of pregnancy I felt so supported you know I wasn't freaked out about the idea of giving birth I had a strategy for what I wanted that fourth trimester to look like maybe that meant that I was able to spend time in me being a mother in the future I don't know but it was it was very straightforward I mean for me like the first six months or so I just loved you know I 
that's the thing. I love pregnancy, love birth, love the first six months. If, if that was all it was, I'd do it again. <laughs> once they start moving and once they start eating and like, you know, you have to make the, you know, stuff for them and like their needs go up. That's when, that's when I started to find it more challenging to take care of my own needs whilst, you know, that, that such rapid development. And I, I think with hindsight, I was probably anemic during that time as well. Um, I didn't realize that until, until much later on. So that was maybe around like the year mark, I was quite depleted and quite pale. And it wasn't until a friend said, Oh, you look really pale. And I went, Oh, probably anemic. But yeah, that first six months straightforward. Um, I, I always remember this funny quote and I can't remember where it's from, but it's something like you spend the whole of the first year wanting your baby to move and talk and then you spend the rest of the time wanting them to sit still and shut up (laughs) which like felt somewhat true for me because I you know we did this um kind of respectful caregiving thing where you don't put your children in a position that they can't get into themselves so you don't sit them up until they can sit up themselves and you don't support you don't hold their hand to stand they have to be able to stand themselves so um, which like sounds so extreme to some people but to me it just makes sense that you just wait until their bodies can do it and they do it of their own accord at some stage so that's what we did so I didn't feel like I was rushing for him to be able to do these things but definitely once he started I was like just catch a break please <laughs> How did you find uh, going back to work or was it never like a big distinction that my kind of maternity leave is over and now I'm off? Yeah, it was gradual because we we so we were in London when Nelson was born and we moved to Margate when he was just he was nine months old when we moved here. So then we were settling in. We were in a small rental property and I was. Yeah, I had been doing some treatments whilst we were in London, but there was a setup to do that in. You know, I could treat in the living room and Paul, my partner, would just would take Nelson out for a walk around the park. And that was the perfect length of time. And then I just he's back and I do a feed. So I was able to do some work and I felt, you know, that I could do two or three treatments a week. And like that wasn't that was like what how we started this conversation. It was giving me something. But I, I was aware of that line for where it might start to deplete me. So I was, you know, had it kind of sorted then. And then we moved here and the rental property wasn't really appropriate for me to treat in. So I wasn't doing it. And then I started treating people in their homes. But then, you know, it was quite soon after that that I, uh, well, yeah, it was around that time that I was approached to write a book and then started going through all of that that process so I was doing some treatments but not much and then it just became about the book and I was still doing treatments then probably you know but I just it was hard to stop probably would have been a good idea for me to have stopped at that point and just focus on the book instead of running around after bedtime trying to treat people yeah (laughs) we all learn (laughs) absolutely (laughs) and in that time um, were you able to sustain that kind of intentionality of self-care and knowing what you want and how to communicate it to your partner and 
yourself <laughs> and others around? Mm, I think it was, it was harder then because, you know, when you're pregnant and planning, you know, you can have all the conversations you want and there's time for that and there's no one interrupting you and, you know, you can, you can do it in that kind of romantic, isn't this amazing way. And then the reality when you have a toddler um, and there's, you know, just the demands of family life, I think that that became harder. And there was a period of time where that communication wasn't what it needed to be for all sorts of reasons. Um, and I think it was also a time when, you know, my partner, like he was starting to have needs and his stuff was shifting there. And so there was, you know, that period of time where it was all about the support that I needed. And then, you know, with time it became like, okay, he also needs support. And I think, you know, I had this thought error, like, well, only one of us can need the support. So if it's him needing support, then my needs are off the table. And then with time, what I've learned is actually both people can have needs and both people can receive that support in the relationship and outside of the relationship as well. Um, but I think that's, you know, some friends and some clients of mine, that's where their relationships have started to really deteriorate at that, at that moment, I think in parenting. Um, and you know, that happens for all sorts of reasons, but I think I was just very conscious that not to, um, not to expect everything from the relationship and to, you know, be aware of my needs but not expect this one human in my life to fulfill all of those needs and know that I can fulfill some of them. And, you know, I made friends in Margate um, and I have like the closest female friendship I've ever had with someone who lives, we actually met viewing houses together <laughs> and, you know, I was getting nourishment through my work again and through writing. And so I was just aware of my needs, but not, expecting one person to kind of not putting the responsibility on him and and vice versa so you know through that we've like navigated that it, it's okay for us to both have needs and that we can we can figure that out rather than only one person is allowed to be going through something oh yeah one at a time yeah that's a great shift and thinking because that's definitely something that I still have I think <laughs> something I should address in my own relationship absolutely yeah that's the thing it's like I think so often the conversation around parenting and around motherhood is coming from a position of lack and it's like well if we were to really say what we want as in in this example both people have needs and their needs get to be met you know let's make that the standard rather than the bonus of like oh yeah it's nice if we can have that but like actually let's raise our standard for what we want out of our experience of parenting together and of being in a relationship together love it <laughs> just think i'm gonna quote you to my partner to <laughs> Another thing that really fascinates me is your relationship with your son. And you share so many beautiful insights through your own podcast um, where you tell, you know, little stories from your day together. 
And I think I've heard you on another podcast talking about how open you are with communicating to him about uh, your physiology and your cycle. And he knows all the proper names for the, you know, sex organs. And, you know, there's no kind of taboos around anything yeah. to do with the body. So I was wondering how how that came about and um, whether uh, there are any challenges from the outside of other people judging you for doing that or kind of within your own conditioned mind <laughs> mm. so I think you know to return to the way that we chose to parent another thing that we did was we've just always spoken to him as I'm speaking to you minus any swear words of course but I'm just I've just always spoken to him like an adult and communicated with him in that way just assuming that he fully understood everything we'd like we never you know whether or not he did or not that's a whole other thing but it just felt uh like that made sense to my brain to do things that way so perhaps that made it more straightforward to use correct anatomical terms and you know it's really amazing when you've got a three-year-old talking about vulvas like it's no big deal you know and you're like to hear vulva said in a way where there's no hesitation and no shame and it's just like this is an arm this is a vulva that's it <laughs> you know um so and of course you know with the work that I do it makes sense that then I want to bring that in into my parenting and really making sure that we're changing things for the next generation and whoever my son ends up with in a relationship and what their gender is that he is just familiar with things and like and it's there's no embarrassment or anything on his part as well um and yeah we we have all sorts of fascinating conversations about things and you know he asks great questions I get to think like why is this part browner than the other <laughs> why is that what's this line on my testicles that you know and I, I and explain how that happens <laughs> and why it's there so and I've never had anyone else question it but I think that comes down to in the same way that I never had anyone question my birth preferences. So if I was like out at a social event and someone would say, oh, have you thought about your birth? And da, 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 and, and I'd say, oh, yeah, well, we're, um, we're booked in to have a home birth. And very few people like questioned me on that because I just was so solid in myself in communicating that and I think that's when you are certain of yourself even if you're not certain of the thing that you're communicating but if you're certain of yourself then people don't usually question it that's been my experience anyway so I think you know when I'm using these words when I'm communicating with my son a certain way when I'm talking about what's important to me I don't get much in the way of backlash is a strong word to use but that's you know how I would describe it like people don't come I don't come up against things with other people an interesting thing that again kind of going back to your career um how you know kind of the framework remains the same but you you know you'll flow quite easily through different kind of modalities within that framework and 
um, what you do in the Flow Collective and in your private work with clients is introducing a lot of coaching and work around mindset. So not just focusing on kind of health, physically speaking, you know, kind of reproductive health. I'm just wondering how does, and I'm sure it does a lot, um, inspire your parenting style and how do you have any kind of techniques that you relate to Nelson to help him cope with whatever he might be going through yeah I think you know for me I really struggled for a long time to be able to name my emotions let alone actually experience them so that was and that's like pretty common in my family and I would say pretty common in my partner's family as well so that was you know I think we all tend to think about our parenting journey and wanting to do things differently in our parenting and that's what I wanted to change was the emotional intelligence and you know particularly with giving birth to a son thinking you know I think I read some research about how men are good at identifying anger there's not many other emotions that they can actually identify for themselves. So I have just taken care to talk about my emotional state, just say, Oh, I'm feeling this, or I'm feeling that. And to help him to frame things and so that he can talk about things. And that just, you know, can go down to book choices that you read at bed and, you know, stories that bring in that side of things. And I think, you know, he's, he feels a lot like his mother. (laughs) (laughs) He is, I mean, Paul, my partner is just like, he is you, you know, we're just two peas in a pod. And so I, you know, right now uh, I'm trying to support him through his emotions and to, uh, to, to work on being able to process them and just and noticing them and you know sometimes that can just mean you know often like when we're driving in the car right because it's less confrontational you know than we sat opposite him and asking him things and we'll talk about things I'll say oh where do you feel that in your body and you know just helping him to identify what each emotion feels like uh so we do we do some of that I think what's important here is that what allows me to do that is being able to regulate myself and to support my emotional state, because often, you know, our kids are going through something and then we're having an emotional response. And if we can't tend to ourselves in that moment, then we can't expect to regulate them. So it's, you know, this work is happening at both ends. You know, it's happening internally and me being able to regulate myself and, process emotions um in uh what I don't say like better ways but basically that and then because of that I'm able to support him through his emotions so you have to look at both sides of it yeah that's beautifully put and to me I think the experience of motherhood is beautiful in that way that it makes me want to look after myself better because that enables me to look after my daughter in a more kind of grounded and basically support her better yeah and it's such a wonderful balance which I love but if I may nitpick that little bit 
I know, I know the roles are reversed here, but I'm going to reverse them back and for, back for a moment because I think that is our tendency when you're being socialized as female is to make self-care about how it is ultimately going to benefit someone else, whether it's your kid or, you know, I do it in my business a lot. I think, oh, if I do this, then I'm better able to support all of you in the Flow Collective. And so that is my tendency as well as to do that. And so my work at the moment and perhaps something that you might like and other people listening might like is that we are enough. We can just do this for ourselves. It doesn't have to be about anyone else, which for me is like an act of revolution. That's brilliant. (laughs) Such a powerful way to end our conversation. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. Well, thank you for receiving it <laughs> because this wasn't a coaching session, but I felt like I should go there. So perfect. Well, yeah. thank you so much for having me on. It's been a joy to talk about all of this. Such great questions. Oh, thank you so much, Maisie. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing for yourself and for everyone else. Oh, my pleasure. If you can't tell, I love it. So it's always great to be able to talk about these things. Thank you. Thank you for listening and being part of the Motherfood community. If you are enjoying this podcast, please share, subscribe, rate and review. It really does make a huge difference. You can join the conversation over on Instagram, where you can find me under Elisa Timoshkina. And do visit my website, elisatimoshkina.com, to find out more about the Motherfood cooking course and enjoy the recipes featured on this podcast. If what I do in any way resonates with you, I'd be so grateful if you could consider supporting me by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Elisa Tim. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to share the next episode with you.